Hello and welcome to Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. I'm Becky Parker Geist and I'm your host. Audiobook Connection is your place to learn about the audiobook creative process in discussions between the authors, narrators, producers, and post-production teams that bring them all together, as well as guests who have listened to the audiobooks and have questions for the creative teams. This podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Today we have with us Chris Shockowitz, author of the science fiction novel Silent Invasion, the first book in the Zalturis series. The audiobook was narrated by Becky Parker, that's me, and is available at your favorite audiobook retailer. We also have with us a longtime friend and co-worker of Chris's during his many years at Intel, Rajiv Nanda, author of AI.gov. Rajiv is going to lead off our discussion today, asking Chris about trends in science fiction, Asimov versus Clark, and where Chris sees himself as an author. And what about this trend of adding fantasy to sci-fi? Should that stand on its own? Should sci-fi go back to basics? Any opinions or any thoughts on the trend? Should science fiction be, you know, uh, go back to its roots or back to basics? Or, you know, do you think that uh, a merger of or a combination of fantasy and science fiction uh, is something that is the next genre of, you know, sci-fi? Yeah, so... What's been really neat is that the the whole explosion of tools for people to self-publish has really caused, you know, anybody to be able to publish, which is great. And I think science fiction is evolving just like we evolve as a species, right? Uh, everything evolves over time. I really do like, you know, I'm obviously influenced by like Clark and Highland and Dan Simons and those guys. Uh, but, you know, I really like that style of science fiction. Personally, when, when the fantasy gets mixed in, I think there's some very interesting stories that are out there. And I think as we go through time, we're probably going to explore and find more and more interesting things. But what happens with the older science fiction is a lot of it is about the technology and how the technology blends in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As technology evolves, really, if, if technology becomes better, the better technology is, the less you know it's there, right? Yeah, yeah. So us in this whole conversation with some of us' headsets on and microphones and stuff, um, that's just going to just disappear. And I really expect, for example, glasses to become the new interface where you're going to put on your glasses for us who have glasses. That'll be your interface. You'll be able to blink and basically bring up a... Uh, bring up a menu and do anything you want to do like you do on your computer or your cell phone. Like, like the minority report on steroids, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And, and in addition to that, like in, in my next book, which is the follow-on to Silent Invasion, <laughs> putting a handout on it. <laughs> so in my next book, that's following the Silent Invasion, actually it's about 10 years in the future and everyone on the space station basically uses glasses as their interface to the station. So, so, so you, yeah. So you know, you you mentioned that you know you you were influenced a lot by you know Heinlein, Arthur C. Clarke, and all that. So when I read both of your books, uh, you know, the Silent Invasion and the Colonizing Trappist, you know, I, I observed that your style is more like more Arthur C. Clarke than Asimov. So within, let's say, the masters of uh, Arthur C. Clarke, Frank Herbert, and you know Heinlein and all. So were you more influenced by Arthur C. Clarke or did your just you know writing style evolve to be that? 
it definitely evolved. And first, I want to say thank you because Clark is the better writer than Asimov, but <laughs> just in terms of uh, yeah. skill. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, you you sort of mute me on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Clark essentially had these very you know interesting situations evolve and uh, and would play them out. One of the things like with Rendezvous with Rama, I really hated the ending of that because there was nothing mm -hmm. satisfying at the end of it. But I like that kind of concept yeah, where, yeah. you know, there's something big going on and it doesn't go the way you expected. And then it's kind of unfolding and you're exploring and learning all these new things. Uh, that's yeah. what I love to write. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I noticed that at least in Silent Invasion that, you know, the how it, uh, the story starts unfolding, it reminded me a lot of uh, how, you know, Arthur C. Clarke would write. You know, yeah. his novels, yeah. Yeah, I actually didn't do that on purpose. I, I was actually trying with Silent Invasion to do a little more like Clive Kostler. Um, oh, okay. But, yeah, I guess it came out like Clark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, that in the next book, uh, you are using some of these evolving technologies like the, you know, glasses becoming primary interface uh, to technology right. but you know recently if you talk about artificial intelligence you know blockchain some of these virtual reality so are you looking at uh, you know integrating those themes also in your books or uh, that's something that you think is a future that has passed already <laughs> well yeah i mean well like i was saying before as the technology gets better it gets more invisible and i think ai mm -hmm. is going to make it's going to be one of the things that helps make technology more invisible because you won't have to play with things because it'll do it for you right yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah i do actually in uh, colonies and trappists which is a little further out in time there is actually an ai and you they, the people interact with the computer kind of like star trek but not you know, quite, you know, Star Trek, it's really interesting that you have to uh, have somebody ask the computer something when, well, you're the captain. Why don't you just ask the computer? Why do you have the other person <laughs> ask the computer? You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah. Um, in the next book, which is called Earth Zero Hour, about halfway through it, um, it does actually get into AI. And I get into this uh, very interesting artificial intelligence for these um, kind of drones so Intel does those drones. Remember where they did mm -hmm. the, the big light shows and it's the thousand drones? Yes. Well, yes. Think, think yeah. about a station yeah. Yeah. space where you're putting out half a million drones and their job is to spin around wow. the station really fast and to block yeah. in shots. Yeah. Wow. And so you can block half a million shots with half a million drones, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, better than point defense type of thing. That is all basically controlled through an artificial intelligence because you'd, you'd have to for the complexity of it all, right? Exactly, yeah. And the response time and, you know, obviously you cannot keep on clicking the buttons, right? Exactly. <laughs> or driving to work, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't go the way that you did with your book, AI.gov, where it's kind of about, you know, what's the implications of it to society? So I was kind of more, yeah. what's the results of using it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, essentially my, you know, when I wrote that short story, it was more of, you know, the immediate effect of yeah, taking over a government and how that would impact, you know, our lives. But yeah, the potential for so, good so, and evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can trust the politicians. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if the AI becomes a politician, then you know what. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so you, so uh, what about Silent Invasion? When, when is the second book? Uh, is it already out, or are you done? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Earth Zero Hour. So, basically, in Silent Invasion, that dream that I started off thinking of as a video game, and then I kind of changed it to a book, which is, yeah. you know, if aliens invaded Earth, 
why would they ever risk themselves when we're so willing to kill each other? All they have to do is influence us to kill each other and they can do, exactly. you know, they can completely manipulate us, right? Yeah. So that was kind of that whole concept that, that evolved. And so basically throughout Silo Division, without too much of a spoiler, uh, you know, they discovered what was going on and, and found a way to combat them effectively. So then, you know, the aliens were going to come back because they really needed to, to meet their objective. Uh, so Earth basically decided we're going to fight them. And because we damaged some of their ships, we got some technology. So a lot of the stuff that I get into is all stuff that's actually technically feasible, except for fusion reactors. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. technically feasible within the next 10 years. It's actually technically feasible for us to start building right now. So mm -hmm. there's basically the fundamental building block is an orbital ring. And the idea is that you can put something in, in orbit around the planet at various heights, and you can essentially run electricity through it. And the motion of that would essentially keep it in orbit around the Earth. And then you can basically mount stations on it. And then uh, you could do that at a fairly low orbit so that you can connect um, a tether from the ground and be able to run what I call a nanorail, which is essentially mm -hmm. a Kevlar or a carbon fiber line that's attached to a little you know, caboose that basically takes yeah, you out of space. Yeah. So you get yeah. over that first mile problem, well, actually the first hundred mile problem, uh, get into space. And then from there, you can transfer in lower orbit between <clears throat> stations, right? So that allows us to start moving people and expensive things very quickly. And then the other idea is that you can basically set up a tunnel or a tube that's vacuum, kind of like Hyperloop, um, mm -hmm. and essentially accelerate something very fast, fairly cheaply on a magnetic rail, and then have it basically blast out of that tube and be relatively high. So you want to start low, like in a valley, and go up a mountain, and then basically blast off into space. And it's a relatively mm -hmm. cheap way to move, again, material and cargo up to that could withstand about 4Gs. Yeah, and then there's just yeah. going to be rockets to take big, heavy, bulky stuff that you have to move. Like if you're moving a reactor, you know, you got to have the foundation for the reactor. So anyway, yeah. it goes into all of that mechanics about how that happens, all as part of evolving the story. And then this huge battle that happens in space and, you know, all the mayhem that occurs. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 you know, so do you read about all these and, uh, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, you know, even even in your uh, the book I was reading and the, you know, both of the books that, you go into some pretty good details about technology. So, yeah. so do you read up and, uh, you know... The, yeah, I definitely research so how do you technologies. All the material? Uh, uh, well, first off, I research technologies that are actually feasible for that time frame. And then collecting the material is just, you know, you go online, there's just a plethora of information out there. And I yeah. try to find the people who are more reputable and kind of analyze what they're saying and then say, okay, well, how would that actually evolve? And then how would people interact with it? And how could that play into your story, you know? Yeah. So it's oh, nice. fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I can, you know, I can definitely see that in your writing that, you know, you're having more fun than I think. Yeah. You, know, you, you had fun writing code or writing, you know, PowerPoints and the Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. More fun than a PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah exactly. some questions about shifting away from the technology side of things for a minute and looking yeah. at the humanity side of things and you know you have these aliens that are controlling things but there's really a lot to do with you know humans as a starting point i would love to hear more about like the role of humanity and and how you see your vision of extraterrestrial life and how that overlaps or contradicts or you know what that interaction is like yeah so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And it's kind of that whole hum human nature thing is what got that whole original idea back in like 1999. But 
Um, I mean, we all know that no human's perfect. Yeah, not even me. <laughs> uh, so if we take a look in any group, you know, we all have our flaws and stuff. But when you essentially work as as a team in a group, you can take the best of everyone and you can, you know, work around your problems, right? And uh, one of the things I did at Intel for 25 years was basically build high-performing teams. And uh, I really spent a lot of time sitting and analyzing people's skills and putting the right people together, you know, to make things happen. Um, I think there's a bit of that for humanity overall. And, you know, when we first meet any type of alien race, we could either cause the biggest catastrophe in the history of our species, or it could be one of the greatest breakthroughs. And it all comes down to really first starting by, by saying, okay, these are not people, they're not human. So we have to actually learn what are their values? What are, what's important to them? Why are they here talking to us? You know, if, if they're coming to us, they must be superior to us to be able to travel here, at least technically. But that doesn't mean they are emotionally or doesn't mean they even have emotions, right? It doesn't mean they speak English. There was actually this one book where the people were using radio to communicate to aliens, and it turned out that the radio frequencies actually damaged the aliens, and they thought they were being attacked. Yeah, unintended consequences. So you have to kind of you know, just be mindful. Um, my books do talk about a lesson for humans. And so one of them is that it is so easy to manipulate a group of people to do, you know, something wrong. So if you look at what really got me thinking about all this was in the whole uh, situation in Rwanda, the Hutsu and the Tutsi, you know, these two tribes lived together in harmony for 450 years or something. And then, you know, it degenerated in less than 10 years into a huge genocide. So how could that happen? And there's really kind of a pattern in human behavior that people can exploit to cause those types of things to happen. So I think it's important for us as a species to think about our holistic well-being and stop focusing on our differences and start focusing on the things that were similar. And nothing's going to do that more than when you run into an alien because the aliens are going to be yeah. so different. That guy that I used to, you know, I'm a Republican or you're a Democrat, you know, we don't get along. Well, you know what? We're a lot more alike than we are to that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And by yeah. the way, our, our future depends on us working together. Right. So I really tried to have that kind of aspect come out in, in my books. And, you know, I actually did a dedication. Uh, I've actually got it right here so I can say it correctly. For Silent Invasion, it was, this book is dedicated to the estimated 800,000 people who died in the Rwandan genocide. May it never happen again. And I really do mean that. May it never happen again. We never let somebody manipulate us in that way. But you can see aspects of that going on right now, like in South Africa. It's sad to keep seeing us make the same mistakes. So in, in that book, I tried to look at, well, what, are the, what is something that would unite humanity? Well, a common enemy or a common goal are really the biggest ways to unite people. It's our tribal nature, right? And so that's what kind of plays out in the Zalthurst series. But I really do a lot of exploring, uh, you know, the depths of human nature and kind of us, especially in colonizing Trappos, try to understand who this alien species is, how, to, how they communicate, how they think, what's important to them. Because you can't make assumptions that, oh, you know, they said this, there, there's really an underlying meaning there for what they said. Well, you don't know that because you don't know the way they think. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. actually the way you layer that, um, you know, when we think about the way that we see the other right. just culturally, right? So we may see one, our culture, some other culture as, as other, but there are like layers of that. And you, you use both, you use that in, in all the different ways so, such that we have within the human species, we have 
us looking at each other as other. Oh, well, you know, we can kill them because whatever reason. Yeah, right. They're not like me. I don't like <laughs> yeah. uh, We can kill yeah. them. But then when we go to the common enemy, uh, now, okay, now we can pull together as humanity against the common enemy. But then there's that layer of, oh, wait a minute. They're the other at the moment, but let's find out who they are. So it's like this expanding experience of getting to know the other and learning how to um, to not just turn everyone into an enemy just because they're... Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's also to look for similarities more so than differences because our nature, uh, our tribal you know, history, like way deep in our brain, we look at a tribe as the group that protects us. So we're looking for those people like us to hang out with. You can see that on social media a lot today, right? Yeah. You, you try to go to the groups where people are more like me, you know, yeah. versus I'm going to go look at the similarities for somebody who's different than me to try to build yeah. a common ground, ground and a bridge, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's listen to a bit of the audiobook. They went to work immediately documenting the company structures, transactions, and conclusions. After a few hours, Amber pulled Jeff to a quiet corner of the room and said, I found something you are not going to believe. What? The companies I'm tracking were created after World War II in the late 1940s. Wow. Do you think the people in control of these businesses have been working for the aliens since then? Jeff, these companies were formed by people who ran major arms companies in Germany and Japan. What do you mean? Executives from those companies formed these companies. Are you implying that the aliens were involved with Germany and Japan during World War II? I'm definitely saying they were influential people at that time. What if the aliens were trying to take over the world through military force by using Germany and Japan? When that failed, they reset their plans and helped humans develop the technology to build these factories. So, 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 uh, so Chris, do you uh, also read human psychology? Like, how do you... You know, in the, in the book, how, how are you, you know, how did you come across that, how to know others, how to actually, different species that has come to, you know, Earth and you know, how do we communicate with them or how do we try to understand? So uh, is it based on some particular, you know, psychology books that you have read or shed some more light on that? Yeah, well, being a manager at Intel for 25 years, so I figure if you're going to be good at managing something, you should understand it. If you're managing people, you need to understand people, right? So I did a yeah. lot of analysis of, of people and, you know, people don't realize it, but when I talk with somebody, I try not to do any snap judgments. Some people do that. I don't like to, but what I can do is I kind of pick up on what's their behavioral type and, you know, what are their motivations and uh, what are the things they like and dislike. And mm-hmm. just through, you know, questions and, and interacting, you kind of build this kind of framework around people. Once you've, cause I've managed at one time or another, over a thousand people, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just over time, not all at once, but you know, you, you just start to learn those patterns. And then when you've read enough about it, and I had managers like, uh, I don't know if you remember Coca Yakely, she was very much yes. into the people yeah. aspects. And she and yeah. I used to talk for hours just about people and, yeah. and the types of people and how, to, how they work together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, I do. I do remember, no, because, you know, I was also fortunate enough to be. You know, in a lot of the classes that we attended where, you know, we would understand the, you know, behaviors, the aspirations of people and all that. So, yeah. but beyond, beyond what we learned at Intel and applied at Intel, you know, obviously there's a wealth of, uh, you know, learning there. But have you read other books on human psychology? No, I haven't really got into like, you know, 
I mean, I read some Nietzsche, for example, just for the fun of it, because that guy's yeah. entertaining. <laughs> yeah, more of philosophy, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, more right. of philosophy than human psychology, yeah. yeah. But I haven't really read psychology books or followed people like that, no. But it's oh, okay. more so, if you're looking at a whole person, you know, in a, in a business environment, there's a psychology piece and motivation yeah. and, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I do read some of the psychology stuff like Jung and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I know you do. Articles. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, based on our experience and all that, I think, you know, you, you have pretty, pretty good understanding of human behavior and aspirations, you know, what triggers what and, you know, how people evolve. So, pretty good. Oh, thank you. So, let me switch gears a little bit. So, you know, uh, so let's say today, if you want to, you know, be known as an author, right? So, you know, you are getting there by publishing books and all that. So would you be, you know, would you prefer to be known as Heinlein or, you know, you, you mentioned Asimov, you don't like, but Frank Herbert or Clark or somebody else? What's your benchmark? So what, what's the benchmark that you are trying to aspire to? I like them all. What I was just saying is Asimov has great stories, but he wasn't a great writer where uh-huh. Clark was a better writer. But, you know, I never really picked somebody that I wanted to just emulate. Uh-huh. You know, I talked about Clive Kessler a little bit. There's a few aspects of the way he builds a story really fast that I liked. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, I've read just probably hundreds of different authors and I didn't really aspire to be like any of them. I was just more so to tell a great story. And so uh-huh. I really kind of started off as, you know, what would I like to see in a story? And so I tried to write a story that I would like, thinking that I'm, you know, part of the demographic that I'm going after, which, um, you know, I've gotten some quite a a few five-star reviews and people saying, you know, that they really liked it. I could do a Mm -hmm. little bit better work at marketing, which I've actually kind of figured out. I'm going to apply it to my next book when I launch it. Yeah. So I never really said, Oh, I want to be like one of these guys or I want to be a Hugo award winner or anything. Uh, Uh, But you know, if I get there, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously, yes. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, because, you know, when, when uh, you know, I obviously with the you know, same age group, so, you know, Heinlein and Frank Herbert were the two that really, I like their writing style and, you know, how they view polit- politics and uh, philosophy and uh, pragmatism and everything into a storyline. You know, Arthur C. Clarke, obviously, you know, you mentioned, and Asimo, you know, the same here. I, I like him. He writes, you know, good stories, but you know, there's something that doesn't click, you know, even with me on SEO. So, so tell us more about, you know, the, the current science fiction that you're reading or, uh, you know, current books that let's say if you were to recommend apart from your books, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which are the other books that you would recommend to the reader, you know, listeners or the readers uh, or, or your friends and your know, family? Yeah. Well, the stuff I write, I keep, clean so there's you know some that have some interesting additional stuff but uh, peter hamilton has a really good series uh, story out there it starts with reality dysfunction um that's a really good one uh, and i like that whole series of books so ian banks actually has a, a series where he has uh, people who are like marines in the future type of thing and it's from their point of view that one's uh, pretty good uh, in terms of more recent stuff i read uh, I also read some fantasy, and I I read the uh, the Wheel of Time like twice because I just liked it so much. Oh. And of course, wow. you know, Game of Thrones. Gotta say, didn't like yeah. the end <laughs> of the series, but <laughs> the books are great. And I hope hope to see you know our friend uh, Mr. Martin put out a couple more. Yeah, but but that that goes more into the fantasy rather than you know science fiction, right? Yeah, 
that that's that's what i was talking about earlier that you know, these days uh, you know what i see is science fiction and fantasy is getting kind of you know into the same common uh, stream like steampunk uh, or something yeah 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 you see um uh, science fiction uh, the classic science fiction is sort of on a on a downward trend compared to the uh, more recent science fiction that is, you know, incorporating a lot of dystopian society elements and a lot of technology. You use some technology and you, it sounds like you're moving more in that direction, but right. what are your thoughts about more classic sci-fi? Yeah, I mean, there would appear that there's, uh, there's basically less people writing in that way, which, you know, that's fine. I think it's an evolution, right? Um, and I think you are seeing a lot more stuff that's a blend between fantasy and sci-fi who was it? I think it was Clark saying that any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. <laughs> magic, yeah. yeah he's so, like, yeah. you know, there's kind of a fertile ground there, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I think part of it too, though, is that a lot of the people writing the classic sci-fi were really kind of visionary and looking out into the future about what would happen and have made many accurate projections, right? And, you know, I, I never want to disparage any other authors, but maybe there's just less of them doing that homework you know yeah or the yeah. ones that are maybe aren't as uh, visible <laughs> you know to us and they're out there somewhere we just got to find them right yeah you may be right actually because you know i think that uh, these days it's more of marketing and promotions that you know get attention rather than the actual material early days when it was uh, you know very difficult to get a book published it would automatically filter through you know a lot of uh, reviews and you know and only come out if it is to a certain standard. Yeah, and there's not a million being published every year, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I wonder if uh, some of the, the more of that trend toward the dystopian society um, is, is uh, indicative of um, lowered amount of hope for the few, you know, for humans. Yeah. You know, because it's, it gets pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's people like uh, my wife, for example, she really loves a story that's uh, like an end of the world story. And she goes like, I don't know why, but I really like those stories. <laughs> so it's not that there's lack of hope, but they just like that type of story. Right. Mm. Uh, and if you think about it, you get a lot of emotion there because, you know, it's like the ultimate thing going on. So, mm. you know, that'll connect with people. So, you know, I think part of it, is you know what are people's preferences and so on and again what rajiv was saying what's what's selling but i think that's a really interesting question is there is something about our psychology of saying that we're not as hopeful for the future as maybe we were 20 years ago i'm actually more hopeful when i think when i look at all of the stuff and how fast we progress you know yeah yeah i was going to say that yeah i was going to say that you know maybe that dystopian future and all that uh, instilled some not hope but is some desire to actually do something to overcome that. And that, that yeah. itself becomes, you know, the outcome becomes positive that, you know, when people see a lot of this, uh, you know, bleak future on the screen or read about it in the books, then they maybe unconsciously decide, hey, we are not going to, you know, let it overcome us and we will do something to change it. So who knows you know <laughs> yeah. you know maybe there's some reverse psychology going on in there <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I, yeah. I also thought it was really interesting the the choice to have the aliens being you know controlling the humans right that 
uh, and manipulating the humans by through our uh, maybe it's our greed or maybe it's our desire for medical breakthroughs or whatever those those things about our flaws that um, that make us susceptible to that manipulation that um, what I found really interesting is that by taking it as a manipulation of the aliens, it feels like it makes it a little bit easier to look at those flaws and say, oh, not so much as to not own our issues, but as a way of looking at them as, oh, that's something that I don't need to give up as I have no control over. It's like a reclaiming of our ability to actually be better people. So if I'm greedy and then I look at this story of aliens controlling me through my greed, it's like, wait a minute, uh, hold on. Yeah. I want to take that back. I want to reclaim the part of me that doesn't have to make that choice. That's a great observation because that is actually part of what I was trying to do is for people to think of the consequences of what they're doing and things are considered bad for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 We label them negative traits for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they actually have a negative consequence. Yeah. 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 So what are your thoughts about um, humanity's destiny? Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, we have a destiny. We just haven't invented, invented it yet or finished inventing it yet. <laughs> but if we look broadly about humanity and going out into the galaxy, you know, beyond our solar system, even within our solar system. But when we go beyond our solar system and assuming that there is intelligent life out there and we just haven't found them yet or they don't want to be found, <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least by us, <laughs> yeah. uh, that we can play a role. And we can play a role as a, a peacekeeper or a partner or, you know, trading, you know, brokering, negotiating, diplomat, or we could be, you know, quite warlike and we can be invading and conquering. And I think, you know, there's next enough duplicity in humanity and our governments and the way that we operate within segments and separate from each other that you could have a lot of those things going on at the same time. But at the end of the day, uh, one of the things I wrote in Colonizing Trappist is that races started to be known for the thing that, that they were good at, and they would start doing the thing in the, in the, if you think of our global society, if we actually become a global society, people's skills will take them into the things that they're good at. Like what I used to do with the people that worked for me, I always looked for their strengths and had them work where their strengths were. If you do the same thing with races, there was this race, uh, it's not too much of a spoiler, but they're called the Tavians. And essentially, they're psychic and they're great negotiators. And when you have two Tavians negotiating, so I have a Tavian working for me, you have one working for you, they both know what the other Tavian knows because they actually are yeah. wide open telepathic. So yeah. they can't lie and they can't hide and they can't cheat. When they're negotiating, they're negotiating a real deal, right? Yeah. At least yeah. their understanding of a real deal. So that's yeah. where those, that race becomes a race of negotiators. But what would we become? We're very versatile, but I think we do have a lot of skills when we choose to use them around diplomacy, not just around war, warfare. Mm -hmm. uh, we obviously do a lot around warfare as well. If you think of the races, like I have a race, you know, that's actually a, a fungal race, right? So they can't, they're not very mobile. So they have to be within a container to move around because they're actually a fungus, you know, like a mushroom mm -hmm. that lives in the ground, right? Versus we can move around and walk around. So who knows what kind of races there are out there, right? Um, and I think a lot of our abilities will play out into what our role would be in that, we'll call it interstellar society. Mm -hmm. That's a ways off. But I think it's an interesting thing to think about. What would we want to do as a race? 
seems like there is an increasing movement and gathering of people around the UFOs and aliens and those topics and who's seen what and what are we experiencing. And it's become more mainstream, although not entirely, I don't think yet. But uh, I find it interesting that, that we're seeing that movement in relation to, you know, books like yours. Um, but there's, there's just a lot more attention, I think, and focus on what else is out there in the universe besides just humans. We're not the only ones here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely the Fermi paradox, which is, you know, uh, when they did a calculation of how many intelligent species should be out there, we're not seeing them or we're not seeing the signs we would expect to see. But that doesn't mean that there isn't intelligent life that's just not spacefaring life, right? Yeah. Like we wouldn't really be considered a spacefaring species since all we did is went to our own moon and we're gone yeah. free probes, right? Maybe yeah. we're in the infancy of that, right? I think there's a, an innate curiosity from human beings of what's beyond the next mountain, what's beyond the next you know, ocean, what's beyond the next planet, what's beyond the solar system. So we've been able to gaze out, you know, 17 billion uh, light years out in the distance are actually 14 billion, 14.8 billion yeah. light years yeah. out into the different distance. I was thinking of the 17 billion uh, solar mass black hole that's out there that we found that's way, way out there. Yeah, yeah. So we're always curious and looking beyond the horizon. And I think when people think about the likelihood, when they really realize kind of what a kind of a small thing we really are in the grandness of our universe, that there must be somebody else out there. And so you get your imagination going. And so anything that talks about it, is just going to fuel that imagination, which I think is great. I think we need to fuel our imaginations much more, you know, than we do today. Yeah. So, you know, so one of the things that, you know, always comes to my mind whenever I read, you know, these uh, science fiction or even, you know, see movies and all that. So we assume that the aliens will be something very different. But, you know, what if they're exactly like us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they have exactly the same fears. They have the same aspirations. They have the same limitations, or you know, same. Well, and do they have religion? Do they that, have? Do they believe in God? Right. Yeah. So you know, so, so you know, maybe they're exactly like us. You no. Know? <laughs> what then? You know. Yeah. Well, it'll be you easier know? to get common ground. <laughs> I know. Well, hopefully, or yeah. or we will, or, or we will, you know, fragment the society even further. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be interesting, but. Highly unlikely, just because of the chemistry yeah, of the yeah, planets when they yeah, form, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> that would that be would funny, be, though. It would be funny. <laughs> well, then there is the multiverse, right? So you could say, okay, yeah. the, the aliens are actually in the other universes. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. They're not like us. They are us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if we get to see the other, yeah. the other <laughs> version of us, that might be just terrifying in itself, right? Yeah, well, there's yeah. a science fiction show called, uh, what's it called? I forgot the name of it. It's on Netflix where um, basically this is what's happening. The, the group of people are traveling between the multiverse versions and they're kind of playing out the story. It's mm -hmm. pretty interesting. Oh, okay. No, I haven't watched it. Well, so Chris, what's, uh, what's coming up for you next? What are you working on? Well, um, I'm definitely first off, you know, working on my next book, which is Earth Zero Hour. So it's the second book in the Zalthurst series. Um, and it's essentially after we've kind of had this initial encounter with the Zalthurians, who are the uh, alien race that was influencing us and trying to kill about 5 billion of us. Basically, 
I won't say too much more, but they return and there's a huge conflict. And uh, it's going to be a lot of really cool technology, some really good characters. Uh, definitely, um, again, not too much of a spoiler, but, you know, just because they're a main character doesn't mean they always live. <laughs> 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 So I've also been working with my uh, book publishing coach, uh, Patrick Snow, and just, we actually have put together a whole class to basically teach people how to uh, create and publish books, how to market them, uh, and how to use them if they're nonfiction to be a speaker, coach, or consultant, or if it's fiction, you know, basically the right way to go about uh, crafting your book so that it, it sells and you can market it, make, it makes it marketable as well as doing the marketing. Oh, also the latest thing I've been doing is I've started a service for authors. Uh, the idea is that authors need a platform to be able to communicate their books to the world. So uh, I have a, a web development company. It's called Folsom Digital Marketing. And Folsom Digital Marketing, I have a service called Author Platform. And the idea is that we do everything from creating your website, uh, creating your sales funnels, your online classes, you know, autoresponders, affiliate programs, kind of the whole nine yards to basically take your information empire and put it online. That's great. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I'll make sure that we put that information in the show notes. All right. And uh, in, in addition to that, I've been, uh, I volunteered as a docent at the Placerville Observatory. So if you go to Google and say Placerville Observatory, if you're ever there in California, come on by. So it's uh, basically open at 8.30 p.m. on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if, you know, the weather's right and the clouds are good. Uh, so I've got to use the 17-inch uh, the Newtonian reflector. We've got a 15-inch with a camera so we can do multiple images and stack them. So I was actually showing people just last weekend uh, the Needle Galaxy and the Regan Galaxy and, you know, some of the other, uh, you know, Messier objects, as well as uh, Jupiter's are very visible right now. So we've got some nice mm -hmm. views of Jupiter. Saturn's coming up over the horizon, so pretty soon we'll be able to see that. Uh, where we're located, there's a tree right where the, the planets orbit, you know. So we have to wait <laughs> until they're high enough over the tree <laughs> for the time window that we're open, right? But, you know, there's just a lot of cool stuff like that. That's great. Peering out into the universe is a, seems like a good source of inspiration for your work. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And I get to talk to a group of people there, you know, and uh, talk with people about, uh, about our place in the universe and what a huge universe we have. And it's pretty amazing when you the, the guy's going, well, how long is a light year? It's like, well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's over 5 trillion miles. Yeah. That's, one, that's one light. The closest star yeah. is four light years away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's quite a frequent flyer program if you could get on it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, um, we'll make sure that we put the information that you gave about the, the Patrick Snow program in the show notes so that people can uh, get that information about that and also ways to connect with you on your website. And just to remind everyone, this is Chris Shokowitz with the book Silent Invasion and Rajiv Nanda. Thank you so much for also an author. Um, thank you for joining us today and generating this uh, awesome conversation. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. You can visit us at audiobookconnection.com to learn more. The podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Learn more at proaudiovoices.com. Again, thanks for being with us, and please join us for our next episode of Audiobook Connection.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.